Um, well, uh, for our time in the Word uh, this morning, uh, we're very happy to have uh, with us uh, Mr. Moses uh, Tay. Uh, we are, uh, during the month of December, doing a uh, series on the subject of investing for eternity, and I think the times in which we live call for uh, this particular uh, emphasis and as, um, as a part of this series, I know like right now, Randy Thompson is teaching a Sunday school class in the Fellowship Hall on Biblical Foundations for Financial Stewardship. In the second service, uh, Tom Vesey is going to be uh, teaching on the subject of how to manage your money. It's basically the same lesson that he taught last week during the first service. So this is primarily for our first service people, and we would encourage you to to um, stick around for the second um, uh, for this Sunday school class that starts at 10:30 on the subject of how to manage your money 101. We know that this uh, class will be a great blessing to you. I was going through the material uh, last Saturday. Uh, at the office, and we've got a lot of really great uh, offerings for you this week in terms of teaching on this very important subject. So avail yourself to what's being offered, and I know that you'll be blessed, and it'll probably almost certainly save you a lot of heartache down the road. Anyway, Moses and Kathy Tay and their two boys are uh, with us uh, this morning. Uh, Moses and Kathy and their sons have... Uh, were a part of our church family for a number of years until just a few years ago they moved up to Crestline. And during their time here at Cornerstone, uh, they uh, made a huge impact upon, uh, upon this church body, revolutionizing the children's church ministry, which they led uh, for a handful of years. And I would also say even the care group ministry that is now firmly in place here uh, in the fabric of our church. And I believe we started our care groups back in 2004. But Moses Tay was one of those individuals that uh, was pretty influential. We as elders read a number of resources and books and consulted with individuals. And Moses was one of them. And the Lord really used the wisdom that he had given to this man to help us as we thought through this issue of, uh, of small groups and its place in the life of the uh, church. So even our structure of ministry to this day bears the imprint of the influence of this man. Uh, Moses ministers to the people of China with Campus Crusade for uh, Christ. He is a graduate of Trinity Divinity School in Asbury Theological uh, seminary, um, and his and Kathy's passion uh, to this day is to call the church to just a radical integration of small groups and family uh, together, worshiping God together, ministering together in a way that seamlessly glorifies the Lord and displays uh, his image. You know, Socrates, I believe, said that the unexamined life is not worth living. Moses is one of those guys who examines everything uh, that other people might look over, but everything in life is worthy of examination. He's a careful thinker, a deep thinker, uh, has a very bright mind mixed with a passionate heart for the Lord. And I know for me, anything that Moses has put any thought into, I'm very interested to know what... Um, 
what wisdom the Lord has given to him. And so we're very much blessed to to have our brother here with us this morning to open up the word to us. So Moses, why don't you come and let's give our brother a very warm welcome. Thanks, bro. Appreciate it. Morning. Um, thanks, brother. Um, I can truly say I'm genuinely embarrassed, and I, I don't feel embarrassed easily. Um, I don't know who you were describing, but it is a privilege to be here this morning. Um, I can truly say for Kathy and I, there's no pulpit in the U.S. that we respect more, and that's not to make light of other pulpits than here. Cornerstone has made a greater impact in our life than any other single church uh, on this planet. And it's because partially from the pulpit and the heart of the elder board and the unity you guys have. And you are a model that I use all the time to talk about uh, church leadership to uh, many of the leaders that we talk to. So thanks for the introduction. Very much undeserved. But that is true of the gospel, isn't it? We are all undeserving of the grace God has given us. Thank you very much uh, for the privilege. And I also want to thank this church for your generosity with the major earthquake that happened in Chengdu that we were supposed to be at this July. And the earthquake happened in May. And Cornerstone just poured in uh, uh, um, your, your love and just your, your gift of mercy. And you guys sent almost $13,000 um, to China. And, you know, I got a call from Elvin. And it was just a total surprise. And, you know, soon after that, about 13000 And so we want to thank you very, very much on behalf of the church in China in the earthquake uh, region. Let's open with prayer uh, as we go to Luke chapter 16 this morning for God's word. Father, we um, praise you for the cross. We praise you that the cross is what brings us here. We praise you that the cross is what sustains us every moment. And Father, you know what an incredible honor and privilege it is to be speaking your word, to be listening to your word, to be meditating, to be responding to your word, that we come together as a community in one heart and one mind. And we pray your Holy Spirit will speak to us today, that you will speak to me first and foremost, that all the words that flow today will be to your glory, to be to your honor, and the words today will overflow out of the works that you're doing in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me to the book of Luke. Uh, it is in your notes. Um, anyone here need some notes? There's some printout there. It's double-sided on there, pretty dense. And um, I don't know how you guys welcome the speakers here, but, you know, Pastor Carlos just started out saying, don't mess up, right? So apparently um, uh, that's, that's a common treatment. So uh, I'll try not to mess up, but it'll help if you follow along with the notes. And kids, if you want, I am, uh, there are notes for you in front. That if you fill in, I'm told there's candy, right? Uh, you feel free to rot your teeth afterwards. Uh, so my kid is definitely looking forward to that. Um, all right. Luke chapter 16. Here's an overview. What we want to talk about today is really about stewardship. It's a matter of your heart. And Luke chapter 16 talks about how to invest for eternity, how it is that we are to fall more deeply in love with Jesus as we're shaped by the very act of stewardship. And in 2003, I delivered the same sermon. I think this thing is so important, it is worth repeating for those of you who have heard this in 2003. And basically, in Luke chapter 16, verse 1 to 7, Jesus sets up a parable. And then in verse 8, this parable ends in very 
strange in two very perplexing statements. And in verse 9 to 12, Jesus gives us four principles to answer why verse 8's perplexing statement makes sense. In verse 13, Jesus gives us an overarching principle that will endure through all of eternity, that is to color every single moment of our life. So let's go and look at God's Word here. In verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 1, now he was saying to the disciples. Now this is very important. If you look at chapter 15, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, to the Sadducees, to the religious leaders, to the people. And in verse 16, he asked this phrase here in his word. Now he was saying to the disciples, and in verse 8, he's talking about the children of light. So very clearly, this passage here is for you and I. This passage here is for the children who follows Jesus, for the disciples of Jesus. This is very, very salient. It forms a central cornerstone idea into how we are called to steward. And this is for the believers uh, uh, that follow Christ. So in verse 1, he says, there was a certain rich man who had a steward. And this steward was reported to him to be squandering his possession. Now, you know in stewards, the stewards at the beginning of the year is entrusted with money. He invests it. And the end of the year, he brings the book and shows to the master and say, Master, here's my book. I have made you more money. The problem is the steward is doing the opposite. Instead of making money and investing and being a wise and very just steward, a faithful steward, he was wasting the master's money. So verse 2, the master calls him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be a steward. In two, three days I gave you to get your books right. Get your books to me in a few days and you are going to be accountable. I am going to see what you did with the possessions I entrusted to you. And so, verse 3, the steward said to himself, he's now facing a crisis, isn't he? He's facing a crisis and he starts talking to himself. And this is very timely for us because countless amount of ink has been spilled, hasn't it, in the last few months about the financial crises that we're facing. It started as a nation and has now gone around the world. And I was talking to my dad recently, he said in China alone, because of the financial crisis, 80,000 factories have closed down. This hits home not just here, but all around globally. And the riots in China, which is hard to imagine because it's a tightly controlled nation. And so we face a crisis, a financial crisis like the steward. So when we face a crisis, what do we do? We start talking to ourselves, don't we? We start thinking. We look at the crisis and alarms us. He says, what shall I do since my master is taking the stewardship away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, so I'm too, proud, too, too weak physically to dig. I'm too ashamed to beg. I'm too proud to beg. And of course, you know, with a steward, all he really knows how to do is to be a steward. Some of you feel like that in your job, maybe, right? you got his job in 30 years, 40 years, you've been faithfully serving, and now they're laying people off. That's all he knows how to do is to be a steward. The problem is this. When he is an unjust steward, the word gets out, no one else, no other rich man will hire the steward to be a steward. He's at the end of his rope. In fact, he's about to be out of rope. So he starts speaking to himself and says, what should I do? And so in verse 4, he thinks he makes a plan. So we face this crisis, then we start speaking to ourselves about this crisis, and then we have a plan. He says, I know what I shall do, in verse 4, so that when I'm removed from the stewardship, they will receive me into their homes. So he has a plan, so that whatever he has had for a short term, he is going to leverage it so that he will have 
his future provided for. They will welcome him to his home. His future needs, the physical needs will be provided for. So in verse 5, he summoned each of his master's debtors and began saying to the first, how much do you owe my master? Now you notice this. He sees, this, uh, uh, he sees the crises. He starts thinking about it. And he makes a plan. And then what does he do next? He acts out his plan. Right? And I'm sure in light of the economic crisis, a lot of us changing. I have friends who are saying, you know, there's no Christmas for us. We're not buying gifts any this Christmas. The whole family, no. We're hunkering down. Right? Other people are providing, the, I mean, polishing up their resume. They're making a plan. And now they're acting it out. So this is how he acts it out. He says, how much do you owe? my master and in verse 6 he says a hundred measures of oil just so you know this is 800 gallons of oil how many of you when you go to you know um, uh, I don't know state of brothers you buy 800 gallons of oil anyone here does that you can't even take a shower with it and use 800 gallons of oil. you can take baths with it for that right you uh, this man was very very rich and he's entrusted with a huge amount of a possession. This is an immense trust that the steward has been given because the master was a wholesaler given the quantity that he's selling. So he says here, take your bill. The steward tells the guy who owes the master the debt, sit down quickly and write 50. Hey, buddy, old pal, this is your lucky day. 50% off. You have just doubled your profit. You are a lucky man today. But don't forget, buddy. Someday if I need help, don't forget who helped you out today. And so he goes on here. He said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, hey, buddy, old pal, this is your lucky day. 20% off. A hundred measures of wheat is the wheat it takes a hundred acres of land to produce in a year. This is a massive amount of property, a possession that he's entrusted with. And he's like, lucky day, 20%. But don't forget, buddy, when I need help someday, don't forget who was your good old buddy pal today, who helped you so that down the road, when I need help, don't forget to receive me into your home. And he did this here in the text here. He says, he, he, he summoned each one of his master's debtors. He did this with every one of the debtors. This man acted consistently with what he knew of uh, his situation. So there, overall in verse 1 to 7, you will see Jesus speaking to us as stewards because we're in the same situation. And when we hit a crisis, we talk to ourselves, we plan, and we act our plan out. Right? And the principle that the steward lived is he used the short term to provide what? For his future needs. Now look with me uh, in verse 8. Let's read verse 8 together, shall we? As the people of God. Ready? Read. And his master praised the unrighteous steward because he had acted shrilly. Ho, 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 ho. Time out. Did you? The master did what? Praise the steward. Now, let me ask you. How many of you, you're cooking, you tell your kids, you know what, dinner's coming, no cookie, and you find your six-year-old sneaking in the cookie jar, and you catch on, you say, hey, kiddo, man, I'm so proud of you. When daddy comes to you tonight, we're going to give you extra dessert. You are so smart. Or if you're at work, right? You embezzle, you're about to be fired. You're like, wow, you know, I spent my life serving this company. And the boss catches you and he takes you to the office and he shakes you and says, you know what, we're going to fire you. But man, you are so bright. That's what we need. Our company, we need more creative thinkers like you. Good job. Would that happen? 
nil. So what is happening here? This is the perplexing statement. The master praised the steward because he was shrewd. Not only that, to add insult to injury, let's read the second part of what Jesus says. Ready to go. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. Hello! Ring, ring, clue phone, right? It's for us, brothers and sisters. Who's the children of light? You and I. And Jesus is saying the children of darkness, like this unrighteous steward, they're a lot more shrewd, or the other word is wise. They're a lot more skilled. They're a lot more uh, able to use the information that they have to make plans than the what? Children of light. Two perplexing statements. How do we explain that? That Jesus would praise this as more shrewd or more wise than you and I. Verse 9 to 12 gives us four principles. Let's look at verse 9. And I say to you, make friends for yourself by means of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwelling. Jesus now gives us four points before he undergirds it with the overarching point in verse 13 about why it is that the steward is our model, even though he's the unjust steward. And the first reason is this. We must invest our temporal possessions into eternal possessions. We must invest our temporal possession. And kids, if you want to fill the thing in, it's right there. All right, number one. We must invest our temporal possession into eternal possessions. Because here it talks about make friends for yourself like the steward by the means of unrighteous mammon so that when it fails. Now notice this. The question is not whether our possession will fail us. The question is a matter of when. A wealthy man died, and at his funeral, a friend leaned over and said, hey, how much did he leave behind? And the answer, of course, is he left everything behind. Our funds will fail us, but we don't need to wait till the point of death, because the financial crisis now informs us that all the planning, I mean, 401ks wiped out 50%, right? There were friends who are retiring, no longer in retirement, looking for work, but there's no job. We know that this is temporal. And so how then do we put the temporal into the eternal? What are things that are eternal? God's Word, right? God's people, God Himself. And of all these things that we can influence with our finance, it is very clear in Scripture that we use our funds, our temporal money, and invest it in the lives of people so that they are in the kingdom. And that's how we put the temporal into the lives of people, bring them into eternity. For example, Luke chapter 12, 33, in the chapters preceding this passage, what does Jesus say? Sell your possession and give to charity. Make yourself purses which do not wear out, and unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes nor moth destroy, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And then later, Luke chapter 18, 22, it's on your notes there. It says, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, right? This man comes and said, what do I lack? What do I need to go to heaven? And he does all these law. He was a very good man. And Jesus says one thing, sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor. And you shall have treasure where? In eternity, in heaven. And come, follow 
me. And we have more to say about the follow me part in verse 13. And so Paul lived his life like that. In 1 Thessalonians 2.19, what does Paul say? Who is our hope? Who is our joy? Who is the crown of our exaltation? Is it my stocks? Is it my 401k? Is it the metals I invest in? Is it the commodities? Is it the skill set? Is it my education? No, 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 a thousand times no. And Paul says, is it not even you, the people he's ministering to, in the presence of our Lord Jesus at His coming? At the presence of Jesus at His coming. So we put our temporal into eternity by taking our possessions and investing it into the lives of people. So 1 Timothy 6 says the same thing. It's not in your text. Paul says, in this way you will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And so Milton last week said, right? Let the gospel assure you that your greatest wealth is safe in heaven. But how is it going to be safe in heaven unless we lay it in heaven, in the lives of people? So the steward was very shrewd and he was praiseworthy because he took what was not his because in two, three days he's going to lose it and he finds a way to put it into what? The future. And you and I have a much higher calling than a steward. Children of light, we can take that which is not permanent, that which is so ephemeral, that which with one economic shock could wipe us out, we can put it into eternity. Into eternity. And in the second point, in verse 10, Jesus says, He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. And the second point Jesus is trying to tell us is that possession is a test of our faithfulness. We must pass the test of faithfulness in our possession. Because here's two sub point here. Like the steward, we will one day be called into account. Not for punishment, but for treasure, for reward. So Luke chapter 12, verse 20, 21, gives this sentiment leading up to this passage. God said to this rich man, who was laying up treasure for himself, who wasn't rich to God. I wish we had time to preach like two, three, four more sermons on this in this theme, because it's full of this theme. And God says to this rich man, who was laying out the treasure for his future retirement, not that retirement is wrong, not that savings is wrong, but it's a hard attitude. And God said to him, you fool. This very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is, Jesus says, the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich to God. God puts you and I on earth for His glory to savor the gospel, to be totally lost in Him. Well, more about that in verse 13. And this is just a test. And so He puts Moses on earth and entrusts me with, you know, a fantastic, brilliant wife and two children and it gives me a modicum of education and it gives me a lot of possession, right? We all are in the wealthiest nation in the world. And he goes and the test goes out. Oh, whoa, 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 don't do that. You're so sick. No, 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 no. Oh, yes, right. Okay, good. You're taking the money you're investing. Yes, you saw this need. You saw the missionary need. You saw the church need. Your neighbor, you, you, you invest. And all, it's all a test. 
every single dollar, every single dime you and I have, is intended to be a test of our faithfulness. And the second sub-point in this thing is that this test is for all people. Even though the steward here manages a lot, the theme of Scripture is very clear in this context of Luke and Scripture. The test is for all people. For example, in Luke chapter 21, Jesus saw the rich people putting money into the treasury. Now, I am told, I am not a scholar and I didn't live at that time, but I am told that they're offering boxes in that time, something that's made of this metal is round, and the rich people will bring bags of money, and they will throw it down, and they will take the silver and uh, gold, and they will they'll throw it from the side really hard. So go clink, 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 Mr. Pharisee, look at him. He gave so much money. And in this context, Jesus saw a certain poor widow putting in two small copper coins. And he said to him, truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them. Two copper coins, two pennies. For they all out of their surplus put in the offering, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. And so this task is for all of us. It doesn't matter if we have a lot of possession by the world standard or we have a little possession by the world standard. All of us are under this test of faithfulness. Because the third principle in verse 11, God will tell us further why this test exists. Verse 11, If therefore you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous mammon, who will entrust you with? With what? True riches. So the third principle is this. Material possession that we have is not true riches. Remember, you can put it into the future. Remember, it is just a test. The principle here is that you and I, we must exchange our material possession for true riches. We must put our possession what into that which is true riches. In Luke chapter 12, 27, he says, Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But God so erased the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown in the furnace. How much more will he clothe you, O man of little faith? But seek first his kingdom. Even Solomon in all his wealth could not recreate the life of one single lily. Because life alone is in the hand of the Creator. And the material possession God gives us, it is not true riches. It is the means for us to invest in eternity. It is the means for us to be transformed in our heart as we are faithful, as we are faithful investing it. And it is the means for us to, that, to realize that which is not true riches, that we may invest in that which is true riches. You know, in this church, as with any church, there are wealthy people. Just for a moment, just imagine, we take the five wealthiest person in this church, and we take all their wealth and we pile it down there in the Cornerstone parking lot, and imagine we bring all their houses, their land, their bank account, their businesses, you know, their investments, here and over. We just bring it all, and next Sunday we all come and we'll see this huge pile of material possessions. Most of us will be very, very impressed. We would be immensely impressed. Oh my goodness, I had no idea this sister is so wealthy. Oh my goodness, he's only 28. I had no idea he had so much investment in the millions. No, we're all admiring God. Imagine this. God said, you know, no, no. 
this is impressive, isn't it? Yes, God, it sure is impressive. Let's come on a journey. And God lifts us up as a church. Imagine. And we're looking down. God lifts us up above Riverside. And we're all looking down. Where's that pile of treasure? There it is, God. Right there. That impressive pile. If I could get one-tenth of it, I would be set for life. And God said, yeah, it sure looks impressive. And God lifts us further up from His vantage point. And now we're looking at all of California. And the soft, fleecy white cloud is going on. As, you know, snow peak capsule crest line is there. And we're like, where is the treasure? And we're like, God, I'm, I can't get it under the cloud. But I know Riverside is right there at that spot. And God said, well, let me lift you further. And God takes us further into His perspective. And we're looking at the whole United States. And where is the treasure now? And we're like, God, I think I'm beginning to get it. And God said, I'm not done. So God lifts us away and we see the entire planet Earth and we see all the continents. And God says, where is the treasure now? And I said, God, we get the point. I'm not done yet. And God then lifts us all the way to the end of the Milky Way where you can't even see the planet Earth. The sun is but now a mere dot. Where is that treasure now? And it goes all the way to the edge of the Milky Way where the sun is not even a dirt of grain in this 400 billion star. And God's not done. He lifts us to the end of the universe where the entire Milky Way can't even be seen. And there are enough stars in the heavens to fill up all the oceans of the world in terms of the grains of sand. And all of a sudden we realize all the treasures we so admire that we work so hard for, we worry about, we, 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 we just spend all this time thinking about, it's not near treasure. It's just a dot in eternity. And what are you living for? What am I living for? Are we living for the dot that we're on for 80 years, 90, maybe if you're really, really blessed 100 years? Are we living for the line of eternity that goes on forever and ever and ever and ever. And Jesus here is saying, children of light. Children of light. The children of darkness is a lot wiser than the children of light because we, who have a perspective of all eternity, often we take this little trinket that we exist only for a dot and we think, oh my goodness, this is the real stuff. And we labor for it and we forget that this is but a temporal test. That we can lay that which is not eternal and real treasure into that which is real treasure. So Pastor Milton last week said so. so I, was, I told Milton, he was sharing with me what he shared last week. I called him on, on Friday just so, you know, there's a sense. And I told Pastor Milton, you can write a book on this stuff. It was an incredible sermon. I was like, you know what, bro? Why don't you preach this Sunday? You know? And he said this, let the gospel convince you that there is greater wealth on the other side of sacrificial generosity. And he said, amaze, be amazed at the staggering generosity of God. We are to be amazed because someday we are going to get real treasure. We are going to get real treasure. But Jesus says here, if you think you have real treasure, who is going to entrust you with the real treasure someday? If our perspective is so myopic, so limited, that we think the material possession is what's so important in our life, we're not qualified to be the eternal steward where we really get true riches. Because if we can't even manage that which is temporal and passing and very little and very tiny with a gospel perspective, how can we possibly manage that which is eternal and grand and magnificent and speaking forth of God's glory in eternity? Amen, Dad. 
See, stewardship is not to cheat you. It's not that, oh, do I have to give my tithe? And by the way, tithe, in my perspective, is not biblical because the tithe is, what, 90% short. It's all God's. And so he leads on to the fourth principle in verse 12. If you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Now let me ask you a question, brothers and sisters. Was this story generous? Was he generous? Hey, buddy, look. You go buy the groceries today, and everywhere you go, people are like 50% off, 20%, 50%. Off. Would you like that? I would. They never give me 50% of in groceries. Never. Right? And so, was this story generous? Was he generous? Oh, come on. You guys can respond. You had a good breakfast, right? Yeah. Okay. Oh, God. Was he generous? He was generous to every one of them. Question. Why was he so generous? It wasn't his. He was so generous because it wasn't his. In fact, here's the principle. Because it was temporal, because it wasn't the real treasure, because it was what? Just a test, right? He was a steward, not the owner. The more, and grab onto this, the more generous he is, the more he is provided for in the future. And here is the problem. You and I suffer from the myth of ownership. Don't we? My bank account, it's Moses Tay and Kathy Tay. My house, it's Moses Tay and Kathy. The deed says so. Really, the bank owns most of it, right? My car, Moses Tay and Kathy Tay. My children, they're named Tays. So we are all under the illusion that we are owners. But here Jesus says what? We're not owners. He is the owner. We are the steward. And so the steward realizes that more generous he is with it, the more he's provided for in the future. But in our economy, in our temporal way of thinking, sometimes, if not all the times we think, you know what? The more I accumulate, the more I really possess in my old age, in my retirement, in my whatever, fill in the blank of what you're living for, what I am living for. Amen? And Jesus here it says, the children of darkness is far wiser than the children of light. Not because Jesus wants to condemn us, but He's pleading with us, say, embrace the gospel. Be saturated by the reality of the wealth I'm giving you. You are not the owner. There's something far greater than this. In verse 13 we will see, there's something far greater than this. Do not buy into the illusion of ownership. Now, quick question. You guys are looking so serious. And the Word of God is serious, right? But really, it's also delightful as we get to the end because it gives us hope. Now, quick question. How many of you have made big purchases, right? And this is what happened. We made, you know what, honey? This year, if we don't go on this vacation to Yosemite, you know, or you know what, if we use our car for another year, or maybe, you know, if we invest in this, you know, honey, I know we're tight. I know, you know, we're overdue for this, this dishwasher, but you know, stocks are cheap right now. It's undervalued. They have overcorrected. Honey, if we spend this $500 and we buy Costco stock because it went way up and now it's way down, you know what, honey, you know what, I bet in five years, 
if Obama does his deal and the economy comes back, we're sitting pretty. We can buy you not just the washing machine, but the refrigerator and not just stainless steel, you know, and not just like this. I like we can go for the Bosch branded, you know, how do I know all this stuff? Because I just bought a washing machine to replace our 20, 30 year old washing machine. Right. So we plan. We lay awake at night, have we not? We think about, or if you're younger, why, if I don't buy this, if I don't buy that, you know, my birthday, you know, grandpa gave me $20, I want this Lego this and this, that. It doesn't matter what age bracket we are, all of us have experienced where we lay awake, we invest, whether it's money, if it's business, if it's a little possession, if it's a dress, whatever level it is, and we labor and we think and we play over it and we have anxiety over that for what material possession, that may not be necessarily wrong. A question. How many of us has lost sleep at night? How many of us have agonized over investment? How many of us have said, you know what, if I just don't spend this and I really sacrifice that, man, honey, you know, if we do that, next year we get to give double to the body of Christ. How many of us have labored to invest and to save and to be careful and to really agonize over this thing, not for our retirement and not for the stuff, but so that next year or in three years' time, we get to give more. If we don't do that, if we don't labor as much over giving and investing to give as we do over purchasing our own possession and our own security, why is that? Because we think we're owners. Because we think this belongs to us. Because at the very heart of it, antithesis to the gospel, is that we live for ourselves. When Jesus came down and gave up Philippians 2, you guys covered that last week, right? All that he had. He did not see equality with God as something what? To be possessed. But we in Genesis 3 wanted equality with God. We wanted to be like God. And so we labor thinking we're God that we possess this stuff. And Jesus loves us so much. He gives us this hope. He wants to set us free from ownership. That we may play the role of what? The steward. And that is why the children of the world, in light of their reality, they use the short term to provide for the long term. But you and I, Jesus is saying, well, brothers and sisters, raise your vision much higher. See it the way I see it because I have given you the cross. Live for eternity. Not for the dot, but for the line. Not for the dot, but for the line. And so in verse 13, Jesus gives us the kicker. Because, you know, brothers and sisters, really, even if material possession was eternal, even if material possession was not a test, even if material possession was real treasure, it still doesn't belong to us. Right? And so in verse 13, Jesus says this. Let's read it together, shall we? Ready? Read. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and money. Brothers and sisters, here's the kicker. The overarching conclusion that Jesus has, ultimately, it is not about your money. It is not about your possession. It is about your heart and my heart. 
Because here he repeats himself. No servant can serve what? Two masters. He's setting up a contrast. There are two masters. Your possessions or your creator. The creation or the creator himself. The gift or the giver. And he says here in the two contrasts, you will either hate one and love the other. The other contrast, third contrast, you will hold on, cling on dear for dear life to one, or you will despise the other. You cannot serve both. And here is the illusion of uh, possession or ownership. We think we are the master of that which you own. But we don't own anything. Pastor Milton said last week, right? We are owned by the things we treasure. You and I have two choices. We do not have the choice not to be mastered, for we are mastered daily. That's what we were made for. We were made for worship. So we're either going to be mastered by our possessions, or we're going to be mastered by the master of all. And Jesus is in love. Ultimately, stewardship is a matter of the heart. Because God knows if He has your heart and my heart, He has your possession and my possession. And the reason possession is a test is not because we need possession, but because in Jesus we have it all. And the possession is a means for us to be mastered by our Savior. And so he says here, no servant can serve two masters. That's why Jesus says in 12.23, right, of Luke, sell your possessions and give to charity for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so the overarching conclusion is that we must submit to the Lordship of God. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, they were begging out of their affliction out of their deep poverty, overflowed into the wealth of their liberality. And Paul goes on and on, but verse 5 is really interesting. Paul, because of their very impoverished time, was surprised. He says, not as we expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord. Brothers and sisters, giving is not a matter of the wallet. It's a matter of our heart. We're with Campus Crusade and we know we've seen it. It is not measured by the men's or woman's bank account. It is measured by the heart of the person. And so here's the kicker. Life is really short. And we look at our wallet and all oh, this is so precious to us. And at the end of life, we will realize, all of us, sooner or later, will realize all the things I treasured, oh my goodness, it's just monopoly money. The thing I held so dear, it was only good while the game lasted. Because at the end of the Monopoly game, the things got folded up, the papers got put away, the box got put into the dusty cupboard. None of us ever, what, stayed up that night thinking, oh, if I had rolled that number, I could have gotten park place. I could have won the game. Why? Because this stuff is irrelevant once the game ends. We're in something far more critical than a game. We're living for eternity. But we live as if it was a game, as if the temporal mattered. Well, it doesn't matter if we think we're the owner. Because sooner or later, like the steward, you and I will be called into account. 
And we all yearn to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. So God is saying here, brothers and sisters, I love you. I went to the cross for you. And one of the ways that you see your heart and my heart is in our checkbook. Show me your checkbook and I will show you your heart. That's true of you. That's true of me. That's true of every being in the face of the earth. And so what is the application? Because any sermon that has no application, that doesn't challenge us to life change, is nothing but information. What does God demand of my life as I'm standing here preaching to you? Not of words, not of just understanding, but also of transformation of my heart. What does it take for me to move that eighth inch from what I hear and what you heard today down to my heart? Remember where your treasure is, there where your heart is? Jesus is after your heart and my heart because He loves us. So the first application, we must surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We must surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. All the verses we read about selling, all you have given to the poor and follow me, you have treasure. It is an issue of the heart that we cannot submit. The Corinthians we talked about, the Macedonians who are impoverished, and yet they were pleading to give even though they were poorer than the people they were giving to. It's because they first gave themselves to the Lord and also to the will of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, as Paul talks about this whole passage, he talks about the gospel. And so the first is, Jesus, my life is yours. I give everything to you unconditionally. I did this when I was junior high. You know what I'm realizing and you're realizing? Every single day we have to resurrender to the gospel. Amen? You guys are so blessed. And we still download Cornerstone Sermon after four years away. Because you have pastors that preach the gospel. And every day, if you know anything about Pastor Milton, is that every day he's pleading with you to come under the gospel every single moment. Amen? So the first application to move this from our brain to our heart is, God, today I make a decision. I'm going to surrender to you in every area of our lives. And the second application The second application is to seek, or the third, to seek actively for needs to be met. To seek actively, especially in this economic time, there is no question in the body of Christ, increasingly, there are going to be unmet physical needs. Oh, I wish we had another sermon to talk about. You know, there's this call to be aggressively seeking out unmet needs. And then the fourth application, because of time we're going to zip through it, is to give sacrificially, to give aggressively, befitting the gospel, befitting Jesus Christ. And Andy Stanley, one of my favorite preachers, has said this, the best cure for selfishness, the single best cure for selfishness, is the same cure Jesus gave this rich man. You know what it is? Sign a big check. Sign it so that it hurts and you will find the cure. You will find for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so give sacrificially, give aggressively, and fifth, we must create margin in our finances. See, we don't talk about 401k. I'm looking at it, it's just, uh, this church is just, I'm telling you, you guys just do stuff great. 
And look at all this stuff, all the seminar, how to manage money, how to be a good steward, how to manage money, do it for husband, wife, on and on. You know why we manage money, brothers and sisters? We don't manage money so that we can retire well. Nothing wrong with that. That's too menial. That's just trinkets. The reason we have to manage money well is so that we have margin to give when the need arises. Because we are stewards. And let me end with two illustrations. To show us and once again communicate that this is not an issue how rich or how much or how little we have, but this applies to all. You guys know Brother Aurelio, right? In this church. I just read recently, within last week, he has spent half a million dollars of his money just to do these evangelistic gospel outreaches. That's not even including the stores. And he has given over 100,000 copies and DVDs and CDs of the evangelistic testimony. And I have read many, literally countless stories of people coming to the Lord from the ministry. And then the other end of the spectrum, you've got my two boys, Josiah and Joshua, 10 and 13, homeschool, no allowance. After all, they got their food, they got their education. What else could they want? Right? So no allowance. And you know, two Christmases ago, when they were 8 and 11, for the first time in their life, a friend gave them two Apple iPods iPod Video, iPod Nano, third generation, newer stuff. It just came out for Christmas. They got that stuff. Oh my goodness, they didn't really know how amazing it was. They go to Sunday school and we happen to be teaching the kids Sunday school. And all the kids said, what did you get for Christmas? What did you get for Christmas? And Josh said, I got an Apple Video. And Josiah, I got an Apple Nano. Whoa! Whoa! Instant hero for the whole month. My mom would never go, oh man, my goodness, I can't believe you got Apple. I've been wanting that. My mom would never do that. My uncle would. I said, instant hero. So my kids are like, whoa, this is amazing. If I didn't know that, I know that now. So we come and we share with the boys. You know, boys, you see that family there. You see the kid there. You see that stuff out there. We're in the, 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 the bus in Singapore. You see how the family split up. The kids, the daughter's listening to the iPod. The, 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 the little son is, you know, playing the video game. The husband is sitting on this side of the aisle. The wife's sitting there just staring at the space. Son, if you listen to the Apple iPod, you know, when Josiah is going to call you to play, you're not going to hear him. And Joshua, when mommy is going to call you for help, you're not going to hear him. So I just want you to know, this is yours, it's not ours, we're not going to take it away. But know the implications of the Apple iPod. Immediately the son, our son said, Mom, Dad, we can't keep this. We don't want to keep this because it's going to isolate us from the community. So we don't want it. So what do we do with it? Praise God for Costco's return policy. $500 cash back. My sons have never seen that much money in their entire life. And my wife has been $50,000. It's not because they don't know the value of money. It's simply because they got very little of it. $500 might as well be amount of gold. They get the Lego catalog. Some of you kids know that. I mean, they know they're as much a consumer as their dad is, right? How is my son like that? Because they have the kind of dad, right? And so... That night, we happened to read a missionary story from Gospel for Asia. And my son said, you know what? They need a bicycle. How much is the bicycle? $105. We got money now. For the first time, we got money. Mom, Dad, can we give it? Please, 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 please. So $105 went out. And then a few months later, a friend of ours was a missionary, a teacher. He went to Texas. Long story short, he was crushed by a truck. His whole family possession was gone. His wife saw him. He should be dead. It's a pure miracle. I saw the photos. The back of the truck is literally physically touching the steering wheel. He was crushed in between. We don't know to this day how he survived. And so Kathy and I were touched to support them, to send money. And we shared that with our son. And immediately our son said, Mom, 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 we want to support them too. Great. We've been praying for that. How much should we give? I don't know. You talk to God, son. 
No, 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 you tell us. I don't know. You talk to God. Son, son will tell you. No, 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 no. So we went back in five minutes, so they prayed. After five minutes, we're driving Ashley to church. And they said, Mom, Joshua said, I think God wants me to give 200 And Josiah said, God, I, you know, I think God wants me to eat $150. So they gave 250 Now do the math. 500 minus 105 minus 200 minus 150 they gave away $455, over 90%. Now, Kathy and I were on the verge of tears because even an 8-year-old and an 11-year-old can understand that life is not about the temporal. Not because they did not treasure the toys they were pouring over and now they can finally afford, but because even a young child can understand that we live for something much more than the short term. Brothers and sisters, Jesus loves us. And he says, my children, children of light, raise your vision. Look into eternity. We are not called to live for the short time. Stewardship is a matter of the heart because I want to lavish you with the real treasure of which the gospel is but the first installment. And eternity, you will continue to see further expansion of the gospel for the rest of eternity and you will never, ever get to the end of it. But part of the principle is this how much of this real treasure you will be entrusted someday depends now on the condition of the heart. So, possessions reveals our heart and conditions our heart. Possession doesn't just reveal the condition of our heart. It reveals our heart. It is the best thermometer I know, along with our prayer life and time of our heart, but it also conditions the state of our heart. Brothers and sisters, we are called to be wise stewards because you and I have much more to live for than this unrighteous steward. Don't we? Amen? Give aggressively. Where have you sacrificially given this year? Where have I sacrificed something? And there's something in my life. I'm out of time. We all do. Let's pray now and ask what it is the Lord will speak to us in this season. And not just this Christmas season, this economic season. Projected four, five, ten years. This is not the time to cut back to be generous. This is the time to be generous because this is the time we know more clearly than ever that our possessions are but short-lived. Amen? Let this not be the excuse for us to cut back, but for the body of Christ to use this as a challenge to give more because this is when people have the greatest need and we have the greatest opportunity to truly invest in eternity for the glory of our Savior. Let's pray. Father, we are... um, Laid bare by your word. I am laid bare as I preach this. We praise you that you do lay us bare because you love us. We praise you that you lay us bare and you seek our hearts with laser precision, with the razor's edge, because you love us. Redeem our heart. Speak to us. Let us 
daily surrender to you. And I pray for Cornerstone, this model church, that you will help us to be radically, aggressively, beautifully, richly generous. Help us to be a church that seeks to be rich to you. The world may see your glory. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Glory be to God.